All right, brothers and sisters, let us turn now to Ephesians chapter 5 in our Bibles. Ephesians 5 once more. Today we'll be looking at a single verse, verse 21. As we have come through Ephesians verse by verse, we come now to verse 21. We don't always just look at one verse, but today we're stopping and kind of camping out on one single verse, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment. Today's topic is joyful submission to godly authority. My question to you is, do you have an aversion to authority? I kind of do. I think we all do at some level. We all have an aversion to authority in one way or another. First of all, we're Americans. The country itself was birthed out of rebellion against unjust authority or what we thought to be unjust authority. We're going to celebrate July 4th tomorrow, Independence Day. It's like in our DNA to be skeptical or to have an aversion to authority. Second, it's the times that we live in. The times that we live in. The abuse of authority may not be more prevalent today than it was in times past, but it is certainly more reported in the news and media today than it has ever been before. It's in front of our faces more than it was in times past. And so it makes sense then why so many people today are skeptical of any kind of authority. The news is full of stories of someone in authority using that power to abuse those under them. Just in recent years, we can think of big news stories of Hollywood directors, CEOs, athletic trainers, politicians, world leaders, and even spiritual authorities, Bible teachers and pastors, for goodness sake, all abusing their authority and abusing those under them by using that power for something it was never intended for. Just in recent years, we've had the Me Too movement, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, COVID lockdowns, and pastoral bullying and sexual abuse scandals in the church, all causing all kinds of people to be skeptical of authority. Not to mention the fact that we don't have to go all that far back in time in our own country to read accounts from African-American slaves like Frederick Douglass, who wrote about their masters wickedly abusing their authority. And so we live in a day and age where people are just skeptical of any kind of authority, and we understand that. I, like I said, have a natural bent to rebel against authority myself and seemingly have had ever since I was little. My parents will tell you. Growing up, I had to learn the hard way how to submit to my parents and their God-given authority. When my parents would say the words, because I said so, I hated that. It's not a reason, right? I had to learn. Now, wait a second. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother. So they have the right to say, because I I said so, and I don't have the right to demand anything more from them. I had run-ins with teachers and coaches and other authority figures as well when I thought they weren't justifying their, their authority over me. It was a pride issue. But I get 
what it feels like to be skeptical of authority or to have this aversion to it. And today we're going to learn about biblical submission to godly authority. Specifically, verse 21 in chapter 5 is our text, but I'm going to read verses 15 through 21 so we can kind of get context a little bit. 15 through 21, but we'll be focusing in on verse 21. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. He writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That verse 21 right there is our focus today, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why would I camp out for an entire week on that one verse? Well, here's the big reason why. We need to spend time on this one because there's a trend in Christianity today. There's a trend in churches today that when people come to verse 22, look at that one. When people come to verse 22, they read it and they bristle. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. We read that and we are conditioned by our modern culture, especially in America. We read that and we bristle at it. It goes so against the grain of our modern culture, it makes us uncomfortable. And so, in a desperate effort to avoid what I believe is the clear teaching of verse 22, people will anxiously point back to verse 21. And they'll say, see, look at verse 21. We're supposed to submit to one another. And they use it as a way to try to nullify the unique submission that God calls wives to give to husbands. Now, we're going to get into that next week. Next week, Lord willing, we will cover verses 22 through 33. But right now, I need you to see verse 21, and I need you to see what people are trying to do in our day and age with verse 21. They're trying to use verse 21 to get out of verse 22. To use verse 21 as a way to say, see, we are just supposed to submit to one another. And so there is no unique submission that God has called wives to give, we're all supposed to submit all to one another. And believe me, this is not just some straw man argument I have created for today's sermon. I have had this happen to me personally. I have taught these texts, verses 22 through 33, been teaching that and had someone come up to me. I actually had a, a church elder do this to me one time. Not here. Come up to me and say, look at verse 21. It says mutual submission. Mutual submission. And so what I want you to see today, even before we get into submission and authority itself, what I want you to see in your Bibles is that verse 21 is a heading. Verse 21 is functioning as a heading for a big section that Paul is about to introduce. He's introducing things with verse 21. Now, sometimes it's unfortunate the way our Bibles are laid out. Our modern Bibles, right? Little, little Bible lesson here, a little bit about the way our Bibles are constructed. Our Bibles were originally written 
in another language, the Old Testament primarily in Hebrew, the New Testament primarily in Greek, and those books were written individually. And so Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, but the book of Ephesians is really just a letter to Christians at Ephesus, right? When Paul was writing Ephesus, he didn't say verse 19 here, verse 20, let's go, verse 21, I'm going to write this. He didn't have those when he was originally writing the letter. And he especially didn't have these headings that we sometimes have in our Bibles. I don't know about your Bible, but do you have a heading over verse 22? Verse 22, my heading over it says wives and husbands. That is not inspired by God. It's a heading put there by the publishers of this Bible. There's another heading above chapter 6, verse 1, children and parents. Chapter, five, or chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants and masters. Those headings and those verse delineations, they are not original to the letter that Paul wrote. They've been put in there to help us by the publishers of our Bibles. The reason that is sometimes unfortunate is because it can make us think that certain passages and certain verses are not related to others. And so you might get to the end of verse 21 and think, end of section. Now we're going on to a different section that's not related. But that is not the way that Paul wrote this letter. If you pay attention, if you read the book of Ephesians, you will see verse 21 is a heading over... Chapter 5, verse 22, all the way down to chapter 6, verse 9. Look in your Bibles. Chapter 5, verse 22 starts a section on wives and husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1 starts a section on children and parents. Chapter 6, verse 5 starts a section on bondservants and masters. All of these sections, do you see? All of these sections are about different ways that we must submit to authority. And so what Paul is doing in verse 21, and he's, he's saying, submit to whatever authority figures you might have. And then he introduces three ways that that sometimes happens. That's what he's doing. Verse 21 is not a verse that is saying everyone submits to everyone. That doesn't actually even make sense. But he's not saying that in verse 21. He's saying each one of you should submit to whatever authority God has placed in your life. Wives to husbands, children to parents, bond servants to masters. He could have included other relationships. In the Bible, in Paul's letters actually, we find that younger Christians are to submit to older ones. He could have included that, but he didn't. We find in Paul's letters that citizens are to submit to governments and church members are to submit to elders. In our day, we could think of things like employees submitting to employers or students submitting to teachers, and so on. So do you see? Verse 21 is not what some people claim. There's this modern trend to avoid the plain teaching of verse 22 by referring back to verse 21. See? Mutual submission. Everybody submits to everybody. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying there are all kinds of different ways that different people submit to different authority figures. And then he talks about three of them. That's what's going on. You can find this in the parallel passage in Colossians. We've talked in this, in this series on Ephesians, how Colossians is kind of like the parallel book to Ephesians in our New Testaments. Well, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, through Colossians 4, 1, he does the same thing. But it's a much shorter section there, and there it's much clearer, actually, that Paul is showing how different groups of people must submit to their respective authority figures. And so this is not teaching that everyone submits to everyone in the same way. 
It's teaching that we all have ways we need to submit to our respective authority figures. And that's why we need to spend a little bit of time on verse 21. It's really a heading introducing this next big section of Ephesians, which goes from 522 all the way down to 6-9. All right? Really important because of the culture that we live in and the, the climate that we live in. Because when we come next week to verse 22, some of us are going to hear that and think, no way. That's not going to fly today. Wives, submit to your husbands. And so many people will go right back to verse 21 and see, say, that's not really what Paul's saying. Yes, it is. The teaching of verse 22 is clear. The teaching of verses 22 and following is clear. And Paul is introducing them as well as the teaching of children to parents and bondservants to masters with verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so let's spend a little bit of time today thinking about what that means for us. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. First, I want you to understand that God created authority. God created authority. This is simply the the way that God has created the world. You might think that all authority is evil and wrong, but you can't avoid it. It is everywhere. Think about the beginning of all things in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. I'm going to read to you chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Right at the very beginning where God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have, watch this, dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, you already have authority, whether you want it or not. God has given you authority over nature, over animals, over the very earth itself. If you ever hunt, if you ever have a pet, if you ever tend a garden, you are exercising God-given authority. This is the way he's made the world. If you ever become a parent or a teacher or a husband or an employer or even a babysitter, you become an authority figure. This is the way he has worked the world to to, to exist. And whether you become one of those authority figures or not, you will most certainly be under authority. You cannot avoid that. Children to parents, citizens to government and to police, students to teachers and principals, players to coaches, church members to elders, employees to bosses. There is simply no way to avoid it. This is the way God has made the world. And so, Casting aside all authority is really no option at all. It is impossible. Authority figures really only have two options. You can either abuse your authority or you can steward it well for the good of those under you. But abdicating it, saying I'm just not going to be an authority, what's well, really just an abuse of it. Think about parents. If you're a parent and you say I'm just not going to be that kind of authority, that's really just an abuse of the authority that has been entrusted to you. 
And so authority figures really only have those two options. Those under authority really only have two options, to rebel against it or submit to it. But throwing it off altogether is no option at all. Back in 1776, there was a group of people who wanted to throw off the authority of King George and the unjust government of Great Britain. So they sought to form their own nation and sign the Declaration of Independence, which we will celebrate tomorrow with a bunch of fireworks and a bunch of grilled meats, right? The way they intended. And so when they did that, they threw off the authority of King George and Great Britain, but then just created another one. That's what we did. We created a different kind of authority. We traded one in for a different kind, but you can't throw off authority altogether. You can't avoid it. You can't escape it. It is the way that God has made the world. Ultimately, this is a very good thing because God creates earthly authorities to point us to himself, our ultimate authority. The authority structures that God has created in this world, that he's put in place in the relationships that happen naturally in this world, they all exist to point us to our ultimate authority, the ultimate authority, the ruler of all things, the creator and the sustainer, our heavenly father. All earthly authorities exist to help us understand our proper relationship to God, which is why the abuse of earthly authority is such a serious thing. The abuse of earthly authority is such a serious thing because all earthly authorities exist to point us to God the Father, the ruler, the creator, the sustainer, the ultimate authority. Now, second, we need to see today that we thrive under authority. God didn't just create authority. He created us to thrive under good authority. We must not make the mistake of thinking that just because authority has been abused at times, then that necessarily means all authority itself is evil. It's not true. God has given us authority for our own human flourishing. I'd like to read to you the last recorded words of King David. Many people think the greatest king in all of Israel. These are his last recorded words. And I want you to notice, I'm going to read 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 4. I want you to notice how these words are set up. Because the words that come before his actually last recorded words show us how important those words are. Let me show you what I mean. 2 Samuel 23, starting in verse 1. It says, Now these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me. Now stop there. That's all introduction. All of that was introduction for David's last recorded words. So whatever he says next is going to be really important, we should suspect, because of the way it was introduced. And so then David says his last recorded words. When one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. When one rules justly over men, that's what happens. It's a beautiful thing, and it exists for the flourishing of those under that authority. Parents, 
and those who have parented, we see this in children very clearly, do we not? They ache for proper authority used for their good. They ache for it. They do not need and they do not want a life with no rules, no structure, and no authority. They might think they do at times, but they really do not. This causes, this life with no rules, no structure, no authority, it causes not only harm physically, but emotionally as well. Children flourish when parents exercise proper authority for their good, when there are rules, structures, expectations, proper discipline, as well as kindness and gentleness and love. We see it so clearly in parenting. We flourish under godly authority. Think of the book of Judges. Have you ever read through the book of Judges? Here's Judges. God will raise up a judge, and a judge is not the same way as we use the word judge. It's kind of a leader, a military leader back then. God will raise up a military leader to deliver the people out of the hand of what evil oppressors they had, and then they they will be delivered, and they will be excited about that, and they'll go right back to rebelling against God. And then that leader dies, and then chaos ensues, and then another leader is raised up, and then they get delivered, and then they go back to rebelling against God, and then chaos ensues, and the pattern goes over and over again in the book of Judges. And this refrain happens all throughout the book of Judges, and it is ended, the whole book is ended with this refrain. The very last verse in the book of Judges is Judges 21-25, which says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the refrain of the book. What happens without godly leadership? What happens without godly authority? Chaos and human suffering. We were created to flourish under good authority. That is the way that God has made the world, but it's also the way that God has made us as individuals. He's made our hearts like this. Now, we must ask the question, though, in this discussion about submitting to proper authority, are there times where we should refuse to submit? Must we submit at all times? It's a good question to ask. It's an important and necessary question to ask. And my answer would be yes, there are times where we should refuse to submit. There will be times where we must refuse to submit, but they may not be as often as you might think. Now, our ultimate authority is God, right? God's our ultimate authority. And so, if any other authority figure in our lives asks us to sin, or coerces us to sin, commands us to sin, we should refuse to submit to that authority in that instance, right? If anybody asks us to sin, if anybody tries to get us to sin, we should refuse to submit to authority in that instance. But what you will not find anywhere in the Bible is a command like this. Refuse to submit to authority when you don't want to. Refuse to submit to authority when you don't want to. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Anywhere in Scripture. Now, a lot of us parents and grandparents are sitting here saying, yeah, that's right. Kids need to hear that one. You don't submit to authority just when you want to. You submit to authority at all times. That's right. But parents, grandparents, grown-ups, let me tell you, in the last couple years, that idea right there has looked us straight in the face. And we've had to ask ourselves, what happens when we don't want to submit to the authorities over us? 
We have been raised in a country that values individual freedom perhaps above all other values. And I will be the first to thank the Lord and to thank many others for the freedoms that we have. But when you lift up individual freedom as the supreme value above all things, we'll just look around at our country today. You see where that's led us. You see where it's gotten us. Individual freedom. I am free to do whatever I decide. I am free to do wherever, whatever my heart leads me to do. I am free to be whoever my heart leads me to be. You see where that leads us. We're there right now. Individual freedom is not the highest value in Scripture. This attitude of no one's going to tell me what to do is emphatically not a Christian attitude. You remember Jesus in Matthew 5 said, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? For even the pagans do that. You remember that? End of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. Well, the same idea applies to how we submit to authority. If you only submit to authority when you want to, what reward will you get? Everyone does that. The rubber meets the road when you don't want to submit. Why would we need commandments about submission if we were were just supposed to submit every time we wanted to? It makes no sense. What do we do when we don't want to? Submission, by its very definition, means there will be times where we don't want to and we should. Perhaps when you disagree with a decision the elders make. Perhaps when you don't like a rule your parents gave you. Perhaps when you don't agree with the way the boss is running the company. Or perhaps when the government makes a law that you deem unwise, but it's not sinful. There will be times where we are called to submit when we don't want to. And the biblical witness of the Christian should be to submit at those times. The biblical witness of Christians should be that we submit when we can even when we don't want to. Now, this calls for biblical wisdom. I cannot make a rule for you on every situation. For example, just a a kind of broad question. Should we refuse to submit if it's a risk to our personal health? Think about that. You might say, well, yeah, it's easy to answer. Of course we should refuse. Well, it's not so easy as you might think. For example, think about this. A wife should not submit to being physically abused by a husband... But a citizen called to go and fight in a war that might even cause them to lose their lives, should they submit to that? See, it's, it's not just black and white. It's not so easy. This is going to take biblical wisdom. One of the best rules of thumb I've ever heard for citizens submitting to government is that we should submit, as Christians, we should submit to our governments unless... The government commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands. Think about that. If the government commands something that God forbids, we can't submit. If the government forbids us to do something that God commands us to do, we can't submit. But if it's not in those two categories, our Christian witness means we should submit to our government authorities, even when we don't want to, because we believe that God has set up those authority structures 
and that all authority comes from God, and that even submission to authority when you don't want to can be a gospel witness. We'll get to that next week as well. But ultimately, why do we submit? Ultimately, why do we submit? It's right there in the verse. Verse 21, why do we submit? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of our submission flows or should flow out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Humble and joyful submission to authority flows from that. As does exercising exercising good authority. Both of them do. We're talking about submission right here in verse 21, but even the exercise of good authority flows, should flow from reverence for Christ. And I want you to see here, reverence there is the word that the ESV translation uses. Other translations will use the the word that is the same in Greek for either of these, the word fear. Fear, out of fear of Christ. Submit to one another out of fear of the Lord. You guys know about the fear of the Lord. We see that all over scripture. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. You believe that this morning? The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you can't be wise. That's what that's saying. You can't even go down the path of gaining wisdom if you don't first have the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom. Well, here it says submission flows out of fear of the Lord, reverence for Christ. Authority figures must steward their God-given power well for the good of those under them, for they will give an account to God. It's the fear of the Lord. I fear the Lord. I fear what the Lord might do to me if I abuse my power, if I abuse the authority he's entrusted to me. And so authority figures steward their power well out of fear of the Lord, but also submission. Submission flows out of the fear of the Lord, out of reverence for him. Not only will Jesus call us to account for how we stewarded our authority, Jesus will call you to account for how you submitted to authority. Not just his authority, the authorities that he has put in place in your life. He will call us to account for how we submitted to our authority figures. Kids, teenagers, even us grown adults, we will be called to account for how we submitted to the authority of our parents. Church members, we will be called to account for how we submitted to the authority, not just of Jesus Christ, but to his elders and shepherds in the church. Citizens of the United States, or if you are a citizen of another country, we will be called to account for how we submitted to our governments. Consider Jesus. Jesus modeled submission to authority while on the earth. We read in the Gospels, fascinatingly, how Jesus submitted to his parents when he was growing up. When he was young, he submitted to his parents. Can you imagine how odd of a relationship that must have been, parenting someone who never sinned? Can you imagine his siblings being the sibling of someone who never, ever is wrong, or something like that, right? He never gets in trouble, literally, but he submits to his parents because that is the way that God has created the world, and he's modeling it for us. When some tried to trap Jesus in his words and asked if it was right to pay taxes to Caesar or not, what did Jesus say? He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, 
Let me tell you, the Caesar back then was a very unjust and unfriendly toward Christians governor. And Jesus says we pay taxes to him because he is the governing authority. Submit to governing authorities as Jesus did. Jesus even submitted to God the Father while on this earth. He submitted to God the Father while on this earth, which is kind of a mystery for us to understand when we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. God the Son, Christ, Jesus, when he became a man, he's just as much God as God the Father or the Holy Spirit, and yet he submitted to the Father while on this earth. Listen to John 5, verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Or John 8, 28. Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. If even the Son of God submits to an authority figure, how much more should we submit to those God has placed in authority. Ultimately, Jesus submitted to save us. His submission saved us. He submitted to death. And he did it for the eternal good of each and every one of us. It was submission to death. A refusal to break away from those who had arrested him, even though he could have done it. A refusal to come down from the cross. A submission to death. Jesus said, they don't take my life from me. I give it willingly. I lay it down of my own accord. He submitted to death, and it's his submission that saved us. I'll give God the final word this morning. Let me read to you Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, which says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right now we're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer. Each week we give this time after we hear from God and his word so that we can respond back to him. It's a time of response and we're asking everyone to respond. As we pray silently... We ask you to respond to the Lord and respond to whatever he's laid upon your heart, which is often different than what he's laid upon those next to you, what he's laid upon me. And after we spend some time in silent prayer responding to the Lord, we'll come back and we'll have a time where those who need to respond to the the word publicly can do so. So let's pray.